0: Salutations friends and welcome back to the arcade we are your video game podcast here back with you for the week of friday september 25th of the year 2020 how's it going ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages i am mike the legend the man who's one so glad to be back with you two so glad that you can be back with us and three the man who's here to point out that it's three months till christmas if you haven't started your shopping yet you're behind start it start it now so that way you can have it over and done with and avoid the malls come later in the season. Yes, and this week I'm the other, well, I'm always the other voice on this program. And thank God.
1: Yes, this week I'm Dennis, the man who clearly needs to ask rich uncle Microsoft <laughs> for some money. And I would also, on before we get into that note, I would also like to say that I am also the man who is always behind on Christmas shopping. So, um yeah, you have the two sides of preparedness on this program. <laughs> Every year...
0: In case you are aware, to, you, it <laughs> always happens where one of us, me, is yeah, is really prepared for Christmas months in advance. Oh God, yes, I have started my Christmas shopping. <laughs> I I have I have gifts procured for people. I have multiple possible items listed for different people. I have possibilities I am working through, uh, processing, and just kind of uh, ballparking figures to see what is my best. Avenue, uh, what's going to cost me the least in shipping, spreadsheets, of course, they are your friend, never an enemy, <laughs> stick with spreadsheets, they will guide you to the promised land, and then there's you. and Then there's me, who envies someone
1: like you, who can just figure stuff like that out, and I'm like, I literally don't know, where's he getting these ideas from, I don't know.
0: <laughs> and let me just say, from now, here on a program that is recorded, and going out there into the ether... I'm so sorry for you this year. <laughs> I have your plans drawn up. They are oh. noted. They are documented. Multiple locations. I like to have backups. I'm prepared that way. And okay. I am... Uh, items are on their way. And... uh <laughs> <Thank> God. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to be good. It's going to be good, though. Um, uh, the theme this year, volume. That's mm. all I'm going to say. Volume. Make of that what you will. You have three months to stew on that. Uh, well, realistically, three and a half before we actually get to exchanging presents. Because as as we've gotten older, and perhaps we've talked about on this program, uh, as you get older, um, you kind of get pulled in more directions. Come the holiday season. Don't know if that will maintain this year, but that yeah. is tradition prior to the year of twenty twenty, the year of our dark lord. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll see if that uh, pertains again come this year, but uh, we'll work on that, and uh, that just gives me more time to uh, refine, reshape, just uh, whittle down the ideas, and make sure make sure they're nicely sanded and smoothed and polished for the uh, everything that's going on. So, yes, three months exactly until. Christmas, if that is a thing that you celebrate and uh, stick on a calendar, too, and are concerned about, get on it from now. Give yourself some peace of mind. Get ahead of the game. And I am not kidding when I say this. I was in a store just a couple of days ago that already was starting to put out Christmas decorations.
1: I'm of the mind that they should wait at least until after Remembrance Day in Canada. At least until after Remembrance Day. Halloween hasn't even happened yet. No. You're kind of already rubbing it into, you know, in an unfair way to the children who probably
0: aren't going to be able to participate in Halloween properly this year. It looks like it's the store was glossing over Halloween. There was an area of Halloween crap already in two different parts of the store, but in uh, one other area, basically just across from some of the Halloween stuff. They had Halloween de- or not Halloween, Christmas decorations out, the big outdoor ones. So they had some of the inflatables up and already inflated, uh, trees lit up for sale and whatnot. It wasn't the full complement that they will have, you know, in another month or two. But still, it was there. It was out. It was to be seen. Uh, they were flexing uh, their Christmas muscle. <laughs> yeah, just there. And even I, as someone who's prepared, found it a bit much.
1: Yeah. You are someone that loves Christmas. And and, I do, and that is, <laughs> but for, for you to admit
0: that—that's a bit much. It's a bit much. It's it's a bit much this early. Calm down. We we don't yeah. need it. There isn't snow on the ground. Let us get through Halloween. Yeah, like one one fun holiday at a time. Like, come on. Like, good god. Exactly. You're
1: like, and also it's just really rubbing it in in a bad way to the children. You know who might look forward to, I don't know if kids look forward to Halloween, like we used to look forward to Halloween, but like, probably still do. It's an opportunity for free candy. Yeah. We used to like, some of us used to really look forward to Halloween. It used to be like really a great, a great time. I mean, before, you know, the world changed and all that stuff. But you know, I mean, whatever. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not making a, you know, social commentary on the state of the world or anything. I'm just basically saying like, come on, like, Halloween's a big deal for kids. They're probably aware of the fact at this point that they aren't able to, they're probably not going to be able to do Halloween properly this year. No, it'll be a Halloween at home, which is going to be hella lame. It's going to be super lame. Like, Or if anything else, there might be some really like stilted thing at your school where like they might have like gift bags for full of like, you know, a few candies for each kid or something. Maybe, or like maybe trick-or-treating at school or something or something like that for the places where schools are open in a limited capacity like they are here. Whatever your opinion
0: on that may be. um, This isn't the only jurisdiction that has schools and kids going back. Yeah,
1: but yeah, (laughs) they might do something like that. Or or parents will be, you know, kind of brazen and actually like think their kids out trick-or-treating, but... I think in the interest of things right now like we're all kind of anticipating no trick or treating this year. So that would suck to be a kid this year. Mhm. I mean it sucks to be an adult this year. It does. <laughs>
0: like like no one's coming out of this year unscathed. No, it's it's not a great year in general, but so, so but kids generally should are and should be the focus of Halloween. I mean it's a, a silly time to go dress up. Uh although some adults take it as an opportunity to dress up and have their own sort of adult halloween based fun yeah. cool but that's going to be different this year as well yeah so like but all, all i'm saying here is like
1: let's not let's not jump the gun a little bit too much here by skipping over halloween entirely like come on like give it a little bit of room to breathe you know like give it a little bit of room before you like the christmas vulture instinct
0: kicks in and goes we need to pick these retail bones dry Gonna get Christmas out there as soon as possible. It's like, no, like, come on. Now, just because uh, trick or treating may or may not happen this year at Halloween, does not mean you cannot buy Halloween candy. No, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm,
1: I'm probably not gonna buy Halloween candy because every time I do, it turns into a huge mistake
0: <laughs> and a week of regret. Come on, gotta do it for the kids. Have the Halloween candy in their honor for those who cannot. Those yeah, who cannot I- trick or treat.
1: It might come as a surprise to you, but I feel like I'm actually too old to be doing that now. Even despite how much I want to.
0: (laughs) Come on. You can do it. You'll be fine. You know, just maybe five at a time. Five of the little (laughs) chocolate bars at a time. Or maybe don't get the chocolate bars you know you'll gorge on. Get some of the other ones that are like, yeah, you're okay with, but not your favorite. Don't go for your favorites, because those are the ones where you're just like, I'm going to pound the box. No, the problem is that like, anything becomes the favorite in the moment. <laughs> so
1: that's the problem. As soon as it hits your tongue, it's like, You're oh. like, oh, okay, there we go. This is way more sugar than I normally eat. All right. Ooh. We're, we're back, baby. <laughs> and then, like, the next day it's like, oh, um, I shouldn't have been back. <laughs>
0: <sighs> why
1: that pleasure Center open for business? It's like, well, I didn't know I could get an actual
0: hangover from just eating too much candy, but here we are. Huh. The things you learn as you grow older and become an adult. So, uh, although as you grow older and become an adult, uh, you kind of have more disposable income at things and different things in your life that uh, never may have twigged your interest before. I'm going to uh, tie this back into what we're talking about: Halloween and Christmas and the holidays. So, a couple weeks ago, I was out with out uh, with my girlfriend at a hardware store. We were picking up some hardware store related items, and they had just started putting out their Halloween wares and Halloween Halloween decorations. Yeah. So this was which is you know, the right type of thing to be doing. Yes, this this was end of August, transitioning into September. so Yeah, makes sense. Perfect time. And, of course, there's the big yard decorations, a whole lot of inflatables themed around God, this, that, and the other thing, a lot of Nightmare Before Christmas stuff, generic black cats, which is the usual images we see at Halloween. The one that caught our attention, her attention, my attention, was a sandworm from Beetlejuice, an inflatable sandworm from Beetlejuice, Nine and a half feet tall. Now, it's not the full standing on its end sandworm. It's kind of coiled around. And then, like, but to the tip of its head, it's nine and a half feet tall. Mouth open. Another sandworm coming out of that. And then out of that second sandworm's mouth is, like, a, basically the tail of a third sandworm that's being eaten by the second sandworm. And it's motorized so that third sandworm's tail just kind of spins around. It looked really awesome. Impressive. God damn huge. And probably super expensive. $300. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they, uh, some of the hardware stores around Halloween time definitely have their fair share of, like, really cool-looking, huge displays you can buy
0: for way too much money. Oh, God, yes. And it makes me wonder, who will buy these type of things? Well, as we stood there just kind of impressed by it, my girlfriend and I, we were talking amongst ourselves, and... Kinda of were joking, although maybe it was half joking, that a justification to uh for such an expenditure would be, you know, just leave it out for Halloween. And then or from Halloween to Christmas. So it just covers both Halloween and Christmas. But how you theme it for Christmas? Just put a little Santa hat on the top. Yeah. <laughs> and there, it's a Christmas sandworm. Yeah. To get your three hundred dollars worth out of it. Of course. And then after Christmas,
1: then it becomes a you know a... Uh, a spring equinox sandworm.
0: Well, even before that, you could just put a little heart and maybe some wings on the back. Ah, uh, yes, Valentine yes. sandworm. Of course, of course, yeah. And then take that off uh, after the fourteenth of February, and then a little green hat and a shamrock around his neck, <laughs> pot of gold around the middle of its coil, mm. St. Patrick's Day sandworm. Yes, of course. And then, of course, after that comes the bunny ears and the eggs. It's your Easter sandworm. Yeah. And, and then, then how you theme it for summer? I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. Yeah. But then by that time, you know, it's become a
1: permanent fixture in your house Then your house is going to get reassessed and you'll have to get taxed on it in some sort of capacity. So, you know, it's it's really some sort of a risk of it being a big external structure to your house and, you know, you don't want to keep it up for too long.
0: That's true. And, uh, but of course, the longer you leave it out, especially once the snow starts melting, then the grass underneath it just dies because it's not getting any sunlight. (laughs) And then you'll just have this big, weird shape of dead grass in your front yard and, that's going to look weird, so you're just better off leaving it up. Yeah, it's true. Otherwise you have to buy the fertilizer or just resod. Yeah. Is it really worth it just leave the sandworm <laughs> up? <laughs> yeah. So, that's it is impressive. Uh, if you're if you see it and you are someone who uh has Jumped on this nine and a half foot tall Beetlejuice sandworm for your Halloween decoration. Uh, trick or treating, be damned. You're still going to decorate for it. Uh, let us know. Email us info at the arcadeshow.com. Com. I want to hear from you. I'm impressed by it. And, uh, are you someone who lays out that kind of, uh, of money for such crazy displays outdoor? decorations because there's inflatables for everything.
1: Yeah. That's, that's hella scratch.
0: That is hella scratch. I mean, it's great. It folds up. It's basically collapsible nylon after that's all cool. Easy to store. Awesome. Although I do want to point out, uh, another idea I had for inflatables and whatnot, uh, that I did share with my girlfriend a couple weeks ago is come Christmas time. It'd be awesome if there was an inflatable outdoor yard, uh, decoration of instead of Santa, one based around Gritty, the mascot for the <laughs> NHL's Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, who um the Internet loves. The, the internet, internet does love. Internet loves Gritty. And rightfully so. Yeah. Gritty's great. I would love to see that as an inflatable. Also, yeah. so if you know of someone who can make one of those, uh get in touch with us. Info at the arcade show dot dot com. com. So we'll move on from mm. those crazy big displays to uh something that to. Big numbers, uh, not the biggest number. We'll catch, uh, to that in just a few minutes, which will touch back, or sorry, circle back to Dennis's nickname. And, uh, at the moment here, we are going to touch on some of the, uh, more down to earth numbers that are somewhat more manageable. We're going to talk about some of the sizes and dimensions that we now know the next gen consoles to be. Much has been made in the past couple of weeks, uh, over the sizes and Really designs and appearances of the PlayStation 5 and Xbox One and most recently Xbox, uh, or sorry, Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S. The name structure of Microsoft consoles will forever be confusing. Yeah. Damn them. Damn that person who named them straight to hell. Yeah. They, they've made a huge mistake. They should have just done what PlayStation did and
1: went with numbers, but they kind of screwed themselves over at the 360. So,
0: Whatever, we, we- Or even do what Nintendo does in a completely different name every time. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's own system. Yeah. Yeah, like
1: don't, don't have all these similar names like Xbox One S, Xbox One S, X, whatever, then Xbox Series S, Xbox Series X, like I was getting confused and I had to look up which one was which because I genuinely couldn't remember. A- anyways. Yeah, so we, we have, I think more tangible Dimensional sizes of what some of these consoles are going to be, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X and or S. And um, they're not small.
0: No, no, they, uh, they're making them big. Uh, everything's bigger, I guess, in Texas, which is where they're making these consoles. Or designing them, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- these are Texas-sized game machines. Yes. Texas-sized big boy game machines. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For, for those of you that just like a little extra on your television.
0: This ain't no itty-bitty game machine. <laughs> it's where the big boys play. <laughs> PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. So we'll start with the uh, PlayStation 5, since it seems to be the, quote-unquote, biggest offender in terms of gargantuanness. Uh, and from the images released prior, uh in the past couple of weeks, since we have seen the design of the PlayStation 5, it looked Big, but there was never really anything around it to have any sort of context or frame of reference. That changed just a couple days ago when I believe it was the Taiwanese Communications Commission uh, that had images of the PlayStation 5 basically on a table or some sort of flat surface placed against rulers. So yeah. you can see exactly what it measures, And we actually have official measurements now for the PlayStation 5, both in its normal and digital versions. So we'll speak first of the PlayStation 5. If you are already with a pre-order for it, or if you're planning to get one around the launch window, here's what you need to know in terms of size, because they are big, unwieldy machines. Yeah. So the PlayStation 5, the normal one, as, and we're going to describe this as it is normally been pictured, standing upright. Not laying flat, standing upright. So, standing upright, the thing stands 15.4 inches tall. It is 4 inches across the face, and then 10.2 inches deep. Now, that's 15.4 inches. Uh, I do not believe that's taking into account the white starched collar fins at the very top of it. No, which extend out another, what, what would you say, 2 to 3 inches, it looks like? At least one. At least one. Um, I'd One... Maybe one to two inches. I'd allow okay. for extra space. So yeah. I personally would to give one to two inches. So maybe 16, 17 inches, 17 and a half inches yeah. is the space you want to allow for this. And funny enough, the PS5
1: digital is almost the exact same dimensions, but the only exception being it's
0: 3.6 inches across the face instead of four. So roughly half an inch thinner because it doesn't have the optical drive. Yeah. And that's
1: it. That's the only, it's not much of a savings in space, really. Sure isn't.
0: But, um, yeah, huge. Gigantic. And let's talk about the weight for a minute. As we talked uh, said these are Texas-sized for those who, uh, again, like their game machines being uh, big and girthy, the PlayStation 5 will weigh in at 9.92 pounds. So damn near 10 pounds is the PlayStation 5. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not any sort of a, you know, hard to carry weight, but for a game machine, what should be a digital structure, I mean, with computers and parts, but it's not like there's lead plates inside the thing. No. That strikes me as being a lot. Yeah. And, you know, to help maybe conceptualize this
1: in case you don't have a ruler or anything like that, a tape measure available near you at this current moment, um, it's been noted that, Including the full height of the fin, the PS5 is going to be almost as tall as a 30 inch HD TV when <laughs> sitting on a table upright. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 30 inch TV. So now that, of course, like you all know that 30 inches. That's nothing in the HD world. It's not because that, that's corner to corner 30 inches. So yeah. it's obviously only going to be that
0: high, but like you can visualize how big of a TV that is. And that's huge. Maybe you have a 30-inch monitor for your uh, computer or or some other device. Maybe that's your bedroom TV or whatnot is 30 inches. Probably not going to be your living room television.
1: No, living room television is bigger than that. But still, just to give you an idea of how much space this thing takes up when
0: standing up, I assume you can still lay it down. You can. I believe it's designed for both kinds of orientations, although the image that Sony has uh, put out predominantly is of the PS5 standing upright.
1: Yeah, whereas, whereas other, with the other previous PlayStation iterations, they at least showed both orientations, usually. They did. Like, I think starting with the PlayStation 2 was the first one that they showed that you could stand up and stuff, but, like, they always had them, you know, one, like, there's always, like, an image of it standing up, then another image of it laying down, usually in all the promotional images. I haven't seen any promotional images of this one, like, laying down, like, is it stand-only? Like, it's it's unclear. Hopefully, it's, like, lay down up, up ready because, like, maybe some people have, you know, limited um, shelf space, like, width-wise. Like, I know I, like, my television stand, my television takes up all of it, really. Mm-hmm. And, like, I have shelves underneath it and stuff where it could go, where it would have to go. <laughs> Hopefully,
0: if I'm going to get one of these things, it'll have to go there, so... And that's also... These measurements aren't taking into account the fact that the PlayStation 5 will have a stand to it as well, a stand that you put underneath it, for yeah. either it's standing vertically or laying flat horizontally. Mm-hmm. That will allow space underneath it for better air circulation, etc., etc., etc. So the, the added height and dimensions to the PlayStation 5 with the stand will not be great, but it is still something to calculate for, and... Just uh, to be thorough here, the PlayStation 5 digital version will weigh in at 8.59 pounds, so almost a pound and a half less by losing the optical drive. Make of that what you will. But still, the thing is, let's say 16 to 17 inches tall. Or if you lay that flat, 16 to 17 inches across, which is a lot. That's that's too much. That is too much. Ye- how many uh, television stands or people will have space for it in their TV stands to be seen. But maybe you're thinking that's too much. I'm now convinced I'm going to go over to the Xbox side of things. Well, it's smaller and, but it's, it's smaller, but also
1: bigger in an unwieldier way. I would argue (laughs) because this one, um, Well, there's no indication of like standing it up for this one from what I understand of these dimensions. We'll just, we'll just imagine these dimensions as being like laying them down. So width wise, when you're looking at it from the face on, um, the Xbox Series X is going to be 11.85 inches. So just shy of a foot wide. Um, and then the other dimensions, the other two are
0: both 5.94 inches. So it's 5.94 inches tall and 5.94 inches deep. Yeah, as you have it laid flat, so like the the uh, great ends at of it, you know, as it's meant to look like a box, a, a cylinder. Uh, the grated ends of it that allow for airflow are five point nine four inches tall and deep, and then the front face of it again almost twelve inches across. The thing oh. weighs weighs in at eight point four pounds, so it's approximately the size of a loaf of a loaf of bread. Yeah, I'd say that's a good approximation. So
1: um without talking about the the uh, well we can just mention it as well the Xbox Series S um again 10.82 inches wide uh so a little bit a little bit sh- uh not as wide you know a little bit narrower yes. um but then still 5.94 inches i guess tall by 2.5 inches deep or i believe yeah other I- way around maybe yeah i believe it's 5.94 inches deep and then 2.5 inches tall yeah yeah so more manageable, certainly. certainly. That would I would say that is the closest to a reasonably sized video game console of these things because six inches high—that's pretty tall for an under the TV shelf. Sure is. Like There's not a
0: lot of space.
1: Like that's that's unwieldy too. Like it's 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 taking up less width wise, but still like like it's. Wonder with these weird form factors. Like you, you made some notes here, just kind of went back through the archives as it were and seeing what some other famous video game consoles, uh, sized in at and, um, it seems like there have been some
0: standards that have been broken here. It, it does. So if we kind of go back in time, the classic NES, uh, so many of us had it, so many of us played it, that is, uh, it measures 10 inches across by 8 inches deep, and it's only 3.5 inches tall. So Nintendo, for the first couple of years of their consoles, had systems that measured 8 by 10 or 10 by 8 Yeah, mind you, they, they screwed everything up with
1: the GameCube, because the GameCube itself was kind of an unwieldy form factor. And I think everyone would probably agree that it was an unwieldy form factor, mm-hmm. and Xbox is kind of bringing us back to that for some reason, but
0: after that one, they kind of learned their lesson and the rest of them were all kind of reasonably sized and or shaped. Indeed. So, uh, eight by 10, I mean, Sega even followed that standard eight by 10 form factor with the, uh, Genesis, which was, uh, about 11 by eight and a half. Uh, and even the Sega Saturn was, uh, 10 by nine inches deep. So that was still in there. Same Ballpark Dreamcast was seven and three quarter or seven and a half by seven and three quarters. All right. So that's, Roughly eight by ten. That's what some of us who have been playing, you know, these game systems since their modern incarnation back in 1985 have become familiar with. Yeah, like basically the
1: size of a piece of paper, but about three inches tall. Yes, that's generally the size you can expect. I mean, it gets a little bit kind of sketchy when you have these the the top loading consoles, but you know, there was always solutions around that, and it was never it was always like a temporary fix that you would do when you're playing it or whatever, and just put your game away when you're done, that kind of thing. I get it, but like, that's not the permanent size of something. <laughs> like, it might stick out, you know, four or five inches tall when a game is engaged, but that's not the permanent fixed size
0: of the f- console to just store it. No, uh, Sony, uh, for their uh, first couple of generations of consoles, they had some standard measurements. The yeah, they f- kept it reasonable. Yeah, the PS1 was ten and three quarter inches across by seven and a half inches deep. All right, that's still fairly within the ballpark. Yeah, PlayStation two and three
1: are both still within the ballpark as well. I mean, PlayStation two is getting a little bit bigger in its first incarnation than much smaller in its second incarnation, but the first incarnation being just shy of twelve inches by seven and point two inches and three three inches tall, and PlayStation three. Um I don't recall exactly what the first incarnation of it was, but it was pretty big as well. But I think the the more standard slim one
0: uh was about, you know, 12 by 10-ish. Yeah. Still kind of big, started to get a bit chunky. Yeah. Uh PS4 kind of reversed those numbers, and the PS4 first incarnation is 10.8 across by 12 inches deep. So getting pretty deep, but still very thin, only 2 inches tall. Yeah, whereas...
1: The company that kind of, like, broke the mold and kind of started us down this weird path a few years ago was, I mean, if we ignore the anomaly of Nintendo with the GameCube, it was Microsoft, really, with the Xbox.
0: The original Xbox was
1: huge.
0: It was, and it was almost as if uh, Microsoft didn't really know how to make a game machine and instead just kind of took a personal desktop computer and put it in a different form factor. Yeah. Because the original Xbox was 12 and a half inches across by 10 inches deep, then the Xbox 360, just over 12 inches, so 12.2 inches by 10 and a half inches deep, then the Xbox One, the widest machine up to this point, or prior to the PS5, 13.1 inches across by 10.8 inches deep. So the depth, kind of variable, still in the 10 to 11 inch range for Microsoft machines, but they were getting wider and wider and wider, the Xbox One, the widest amongst them. And then Sony has now just blown that out of the water. Yeah. Not only being the oldest of the uh numbered <laughs> systems, or perhaps the most or the highest number I should say, of uh game consoles out there, it has to be the widest and beefiest. Yeah. And I believe to this point, that's a fifteen and a half, sixteen inch range for the PS five, you know, across its face, that's That looks to me to be the most of any major modern console. Yeah, I think so. So is that really a good distinction? (laughs) Is that is that an honor they were going for? I don't know. It's hard to tell, but that's what it's going to be. So consumer alert for all you people out there looking at getting a PS5 or already planning to get a PS5 as you managed to snag a pre-order last week. Make some space. Yeah. Finangle your TV area.
1: But also, arguably, um, speaking of, you know, consumer alert, um, maybe things that might affect your decision of buying a PlayStation is the major
0: news of the week. As we circle back to your nickname from half an hour ago. Yes. uh, When you were uh, saying that uh, you clearly need to ask rich uncle Microsoft for some money. Uh, that's because Microsoft clearly has too much money. Yeah. So now they have less of it, but they still have a whole lot of money. Yeah, I mean, before the show, we were looking up their market
1: cap, and it seems like their market cap is, what, $1.5 trillion-ish in that range? Yes, they're not hurting. No, they're they're definitely not hurting as a company. Microsoft is one of, like, at this point, I would say they're old money in the tech world. They've kind of been around for, like, 40 years, 40-plus 40 years, so they're established. They're not going anywhere. The, this whole games thing, you know, the Xbox, you know, it's basically just been kind of like... It seems like a fun foray for them, almost an like experiment over the last, like, 15 years or so. Perhaps. Like, in terms of, like, the grand scheme of their business, it's not much, but, you know, it's it's impactful in the gaming community because, you know, it's, it's another... Another major player in the arena, even if they, even if it's probably not the main thing for them as a company, you know, obviously
0: them mm. being Microsoft, certainly not. They've got uh, many different arms, many different tendrils as a company that bring in revenue. Uh, I mean, you know, there's the software side, there's the Azure uh, server side, the enterprise side, um, and I mean, there's Windows. That's true. Like that's been sort of like the mainstay for. A long, long time. There's the sur- the physical product line with surfaces. Uh, yep. Uh, and whatnot. So, but still, I mean, the Xbox division is puttering along, doing their thing. And uh, with the pending launch of a new platform, of course, you will need games for it. And we have seen Microsoft in the past couple of years be proactive in acquiring studios to bring under their umbrella to really flesh out and develop a good substantial library for Xbox platforms. Uh, the most... I guess, first and most noteworthy acquisition was a couple years ago when they bought Mojang for $2.5 billion, yeah, thus bringing Minecraft under the Microsoft umbrella. Yeah, and it's actually not clear if they recouped that money or not. But Yeah, Sachin and Della, in the wake of that acquisition a couple of years ago, uh was pretty bold in saying that they would make back their money in, what, couple months, if not a year or two? I think he said like three months or something ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous. some crazy number that... Seemed impossible to hit. but And he never really clarified that after, or I don't think anyone's really pressed him on the question.
1: No, but in the grand scheme of things, for a company that's worth $1.5 trillion, $2 billion is nothing. It's not. It's, it, it's
0: nothing. So, it's a drop in the bucket.
1: Yeah. Which is insane to think when you're thinking like, as a regular Joe, just like, hey, $2 billion is nothing? What? <laughs> it's like, anyways, you know, They're playing Uh, at a whole other scale. Yeah, they're...
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're at a level that most of us will never understand. Uh, let me, let me frame it in a video game way if I can. Do you remember the, the giant world in Super Mario 3? Yeah. They're the giants, and the rest of us normal plebes are little Mario running around. In the giant world. Yeah. They're that big fish that tries to eat you? Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's what they are. They're the, you know, they play with the other giants. Uh, I guess Mark Zuckerberg is uh, the Goomba. Yeah. And, or he's King Koopa, perhaps. Or he's King Koopa. True, too. Uh, so that's that's the level that they are playing in because they announced this week, as you have likely heard. If not, well, then we are honored to be the first to tell you that Microsoft announced plans this week to purchase Bethesda for a total of $7.5 billion. Well, ZeniMax. Oh, ZeniMax, I'm sorry. ZeniMax is the the parent company.
1: Yeah, they acquired ZeniMax Media, who's the parent company of Bethesda, but also ID Software, Arcane Studios, Machine Games, Tango Gameworks, and more for $7.5 billion.
0: I believe there's a total of seven or eight uh, separate studios or seven or eight main studios that are being acquired by Microsoft in this deal. The main ones, of course, being Bethesda ID Software, and, but the the real meat and potatoes of this is the fact that Microsoft is bringing un into their camp titles and franchises such as the Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Doom, Wolfenstein, Quake, and of course the upcoming Starfield. The upcoming Starfield, the next Elder Scrolls, yeah, because Elder Scrolls has a new game in that uh, main franchise series that's being developed. Yes, the Elder Scrolls Six, as they.
1: Gave that, the terrible reveal, what, not? Last year. Like last year at E3? Yes. That, that awful reveal of just like some rolling hills rendered in 3D and then just the title card of the Elder Scrolls 6. Like, you've given us nothing, you might as well have just said nothing because this is nothing. What is this? But regardless, it's always exciting when a new Elder Scrolls game comes out, regardless of what people think, like, there's always the accusation that Bethesda makes some janky games at times and there's always funny bugs and stuff, but when it all comes down to it, we all play them. Like everyone, like <laughs> when it comes out, you have to play it. You when it comes out, I have to play it. When a new system comes out, they have to re-release it for it. Skyrim is on what it's second and a half generation. <laughs> like it's been released, re-released probably a hundred times at this point for like,
0: Thirty different systems or something ridiculous. It ported to almost everything under the sun, short of uh, graphing calculator. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: But anyways, if we step back out of like you know the specifics of this, when we look at this on the on paper and kind of conceptualize this, in 2012, Disney spent four billion dollars to buy Star Wars, and four billion dollars. You know, in 2012 dollars is worth four and a half billion dollars in you know 2020 dollars mm-hmm. just due to inflation so effectively in terms of today's money Disney spent four and a half billion dollars on Star Wars which in my head seems like it's a bigger thing culturally than all of the Bethesda and ID stuff combined sure does you're not wrong to think that so, is this valuation way out of whack, or am I just not aware of how much money these games actually make?
0: A uh, little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I'd even offer it's a little bit of column C, in that uh, evaluation can also just be in the eye of the beholder as well. That is true. Uh, Disney and, and George Lucas had a, had a good working relationship. And I guess Disney wanted properties because Disney can do a lot with those properties. It's not just the movies; they can yeah. leverage it into merchandise, theme parks, theme parks exactly. Yeah, uh, you know, TV series now, as The Mandalorian has uh, got people salivating for a new season on Disney Plus, only yeah. available legally on Disney Plus. Yep. So there's a lot of different ways Disney can spin that off, and also with uh, that four billion dollar purchase, they did get Indiana Jones. Right, wait, but what I'm saying—the main is, thing was Star Wars.
1: But like, what I'm saying overall, sh- are these val—like, I'm not questioning the valuation of that. I'm questioning the valuation of this. Like, is like—is this worth seven point five billion dollars? You You'd think that maybe, given all the different ways that you could spin Lucasfilm properties, that would be more worth the seven point five billion dollars, whereas. This, might, this might, might be the 4.5.
0: Like, I can, I can certainly see that too. I wonder how much of this purchase price is, uh, the premium to incentivize Zenimax to sell. Because Zenimax didn't really have to sell. No, they didn't. Uh, they have their studios, they have their franchises, their games make money. They do quite well. Yeah. Uh, anything, if they're ever hurting for money, you can always port Elder Scrolls to something else. Yeah, exactly. Put out a new
1: Elder Scrolls collection put out some something involving fallout.
0: People will just be happy for a bit and you'll be fine. Exactly. And you'll have enough working capital to keep going until the next thing. So uh, perhaps also the purchase price was uh maybe just to wows any Macs and get the deal done quickly instead of uh, carrying on and dragging out negotiations and haggling over dollars. Maybe this was, Hey, Microsoft's initial offer. Here's seven and a half billion. Boom. Done. Zenimax is kind of reeling because that's a shit ton of money that they weren't anticipating. Yes, we will take it to fend off any other potential, uh, rival tech companies that might have interest in it. Yeah. Because that's where the gaming space seems to be going now. Domination by the major tech companies. Yeah. And who, who can control the IPs?
1: I mean, that should be kind of how it, all boils down to anyways, because we've been kind of talking about this over the last few years as well, how homogenous everything seems to have gotten in, you know, the uh, the landscape. Because, like, we grew up in the real console war generation where there was a real impact to buying either a Sega Genesis or a Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. or, like, having a Nintendo or whatever. Like, you know, there was an impact to whatever thing you bought, because that means you're going to be cutting yourself out of a whole bunch of games if you're only going to be buying one of these consoles.
0: Exclusivity meant something.
1: Yeah, it meant something. So maybe, like, on the one hand, like, obviously there's tons of speculation to be had here. Like, does this mean that Microsoft will be making several, if not all of these franchises that come with the purchase of ZeniMax into Xbox exclusives? Like, part of me thinks that might be the case. Another part of me thinks, if you're going to buy it for $7.5 billion, you're going to want that thing on everything. Hell yeah. So that's probably not going to be the case. But it did maybe make me, give me pause a little bit to think about, like, wait, am I going to get a PS5? Like, I'm going to wait and see now to see what games come out for what consoles and see if they're just timed exclusives or
0: what happens here, because this is a big deal. It absolutely is a big deal. Uh ZeniMax, Bethesda, call them whatever you will, they have games in the pipeline already for the PS5, two games uh, specifically called Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. The development and release of those apparently not going to be changed or touched at all, likely because development is just so far along. Yeah. And also they probably are going to release before this huge transaction actually closes next year and becomes official. But beyond these two games of Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, Bethesda, uh, and more specifically, I should say, Xbox uh, division head Phil Spencer has said that any sort of future Bethesda game releases will be launching on Xbox and PC and then, uh, quote, other consoles on a case-by-case basis. End quote. So they'll take it as it comes. But I, I, to your point, as you said, it makes no sense for Microsoft to only have these on one platform. Yeah. Their own platform, yes, PC as well, but they don't have exclusivity on PC. It's just their title being put out there. Yeah. But the budgets for these games are going to be huge. Yeah, they're like games...
1: Game budgets can be in the two three hundred million dollar range now. When we're talking about these massive AAA titles, like I'm pretty sure the Elder Scrolls Six has been, if not, will be in development for like what five years, probably. Oh God, if not more, if not more. Like, I mean, it's been almost ten since Skyrim came out, and they gave a teaser video, but that doesn't
0: indicate any progress, obviously. No, you don't know how long. They've been in development at that point. You don't know when in the dev cycle that was made. Yeah. You just know a 30 second terrible teaser video was released. Yeah. Same can be said of their other big epic game, Starfield.
1: Yeah. Like we know, we, I think we know a little bit more about what Starfield is conceptually, but still I haven't really seen any gameplay footage. So yeah, but regardless, my point is $300 million is kind of like what a game like this will have because there's an army of people that work on them for a long amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when you see a movie budget for that amount of money, when you watch the credits at the end, you're like that actually seems like very similar to what goes into a video game at this
0: point. So yeah, makes sense. So I don't know. So uh, I wonder if the timing of this announcement was meant to kind of uh blunt the blow of Sony's, Uh, big digital event the week prior and say, okay, you're all excited for the PS5. Well, we're actually buying these uh, well-loved, well-respected game companies and game franchises. So there, even though the deal, again, does not close until next year.
1: Yeah, it also doesn't, again, like I said, it doesn't imply any sort of state of exclusivity. Now, if if Microsoft did decide to make something like elder scrolls or fallout xbox exclusive that would be huge but it also might be them shooting themselves in the foot so it's we're really gonna have to wait and see what happens here because i'm i'm not gonna jump in with any sort of speculation because i don't want to waste a bunch of money on something that
0: might suck certainly not The, the most sensible approach i could see would be microsoft making things timed exclusive yeah so Especially like, if it's a game, sorry, with any sort of online component where you're, you know, paying X amount of dollars per month, you know, something like a, a, a Grand Theft Auto Online, but, you know, Fallout with its new online service, if there is to be something like that, or a new Elder Scrolls online service. Then you most certainly want to don the PlayStation as well as the Xbox to capture those user bases into your monthly subscription. Yeah, of course.
1: But also, you know, the timed exclusivity will work out well as well because they're, for like a new Elder Scrolls game, you know that there's a built-in audience of people who will buy it. I mean, I'm one of them. Absolutely, you're not alone. I'm I'm not like, no, and I know I'm not alone. There's tons of us, like anytime a new Elder Scrolls game or a new Fallout game comes out, there are those of us that will want to buy it. And if I don't have the console it comes out on, all it's going to do is like, I'm going to be kind of like looking for reviews and people, you know, it's that grace period basically that I get of like people building up the hype even more. It's like, okay, so those damn Xbox people get it first, but oh, I'll wait around for my PlayStation, you <laughs> know, like, like I'll have to see how that happens. Like if, if it, if that's the case, yeah, maybe like, cause honestly switching from one platform to another doesn't seem like the most appealing thing at this point given you know, my PlayStation.
0: Well, you've been a PlayStation holder for, since the first PlayStation. So you've got a backlog of PlayStation games.
1: Though yeah, so that doesn't matter. Like literally the only thing that actually matters at this point, which is the next thing we'll be talking about, is that, you know, the only back, the only backwards compatibility is the PlayStation 4, which I have. So, you know, just being able to continue playing those games would be nice. But then again, I don't have to get rid of my PlayStation 4. I can just keep my PlayStation 4, keep playing it,
0: and just not get a PlayStation 5, right, for a while? You could. Uh, at this juncture, with the announcements we've seen for the past couple weeks, and likely we'll see between now and these systems actually releasing uh on November 10th and 12th, respectively, between the Xbox and PlayStation 5, it seems like the most prudent course of action would be just to wait. Yeah. Wait for a, wait for six months, wait for a year, perhaps wait until some sort of mid-generation
1: refresh. Which is, I'm sure, not what either Sony or Microsoft want
0: to hear. Certainly not. <laughs> and for some people, they can't wait because they just want to need to have the, the next gen console because some of the games look fantastic. Cannot fault you. Some of those games, like the next Jack and Daxter, yeah. uh, Crash Bandicoot, um, uh, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, God of War look absolutely fantastic. Yeah. As they should. Or Final Fantasy XVI of what we saw running on a PC version, PC <laughs> yeah. emulating the PS5 experience. Yeah, that
1: was a little bit strange. I don't know why they just didn't say it was running on a PC. Oh, because it was at the PlayStation event.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, so exactly. Whatever that meant. Like, okay. <laughs> or at this point, uh, if you're unsure of which console to go for, just build up your gaming PC. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, you're never going to lose out on a, a good game like this. If, uh, or some, or the majority of these good games with a PC, like as someone
1: that I'm not against PC gaming. It's just like, I'm at a computer all day for my job. And I'm not the idea of like, you know, sitting in front of a computer any longer to unwind isn't super appealing to me. And I get that, but it is getting to the point where it's like, I should just build a stupid gaming PC and whatever, like, you know, make a separate, you know, place to hang out and play PC games that isn't like, you know, well, at least currently the home office because of COVID and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, I don't know. Like, you're right. Like all those, like, you know, PC, like snobs will always tell you that. It's like, oh no, well, it's like the video card you can get now is not even like the, the next generation of consoles is not even going to come close to what you can do with it. Nope. Anyways. So yeah. And every major game with the exception of like, maybe like a Gears of War or a Halo or something. Yeah. With
0: the, the exception of true first party games. Yeah. But like, that's, that's the question of
1: this. Like, does this mean Microsoft is planning on turning some of these games into true first
0: party games? It's a good question. I could see them uh, as being pretty open with uh, their games, their catalog, their uh, new acquisitions of Bethesda games coming to PC as well, uh, which I believe they've said will come to the launch on the Xbox and PC. Yeah, I think the, from what I've read, the immediate effect and impact will be that the Bethesda uh, ID software basically as many existing games as they can will be coming to the Xbox Game Pass service to beef up and flesh out that catalog, so that way, day one of the Xbox Series X being released, even though the console itself may not have the greatest amount of launch titles with it, you'll have a whole lot of backwards compatible uh uh, Xbox titles as well, so you can play yeah. your existing catalog. And also the Game Pass service, which we spoke of two weeks ago, will get you a membership to Xbox Game Pass. Game Pass will get you a membership to EA's Origin service, or EA Play. Yeah. And that catalog of games as well. So, yeah. So uh, the, the end game really is for Microsoft just to have more games under their umbrella. And something we've met, as we were talking before... I envision Microsoft becoming more and more of a software-focused company. Yeah, I could see that. This might be the last generation of Microsoft having actual hardware consoles. Yeah,
1: with the exception of them maybe putting out some sort of, like, Chromecast-y type device with the caveat that you need a good enough internet connection to connect. Or maybe, who knows, like, maybe it'll be this weird thing set up. Because, like, they're more, like at this point, I would argue that they're more of an infrastructure than a hardware company. Like, they, their Azure infrastructure is, like, pretty robust. And, you know, like, they have data centers around the world and stuff like that. So is it too much of a stretch to think that they could also just kind of maybe set up their own, like, cellular broadcast centers where, like, they could just provide you a Chromecast that has a 5G chip built into it? That just connects to Microsoft's systems and stuff. That's just
0: floating in the air around us. Floating
1: in the air around us somewhere. That like you don't actually need to go through your ISP or anything like that. It's like Microsoft is providing it right to you. At the moment, it doesn't sound that crazy. No, it doesn't seem that crazy. Because like, if that's the case, like if like a five G connection is pretty amazing. Like numbers wise, like from what I understand, I haven't experienced a five G internet connection yet because those devices aren't really out and they're hella expensive. But from what I understand, it should be able to easily support any sort of like streaming or whatever. So all it needs to have is like the places to broadcast the signal from. So Microsoft having, you know, connections all over the place,
0: maybe that's their next play. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So you can just pick up wherever. Yeah. Which would make sense given what we have seen with their, uh, Project X Cloud, yeah, where it is just a portal for you to play games on whatever device. It is device agnostic. It doesn't care. Well, I mean, it somewhat cares. It can't get on the iOS platform, yeah, because Apple, but whatnot. But yeah, on various devices that are not iOS. So, yeah, Microsoft, uh, uh, and also this just ties into, I guess, the idea of software as a service. Because guess what the big, you know, monthly subscription here is? The Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. So I could easily see this, like
1: maybe, maybe they are using this. I could see them transitioning out of physical hardware in the way that we know it within two generations. I think they're going to try the digital generation this time. And then next generation, they're probably going to put out a streaming only box that you can plug in of some kind. Mm-hmm. That, that might look more like a form factor of like the old surfboard modems or something of back in the day. But then from there, like, yeah, I I don't see any reason why they wouldn't just have some sort of 5g cellular reception or like a SIM card of their own inside the device that just connects to whatever Microsoft cellular service.
0: And, you know, I kind of wonder if uh, the uh, price point for the Xbox series S the small little white Bluetooth-type speaker-looking device uh, that is sans optical drive that is, I believe, priced at $299 US, uh, which is $200 less than its much bigger optical drive-having uh, counterpart. I wonder if that's a tr- just basically a real trial balloon. See if there's mass adoption for something like this, a digital-only console Yeah. of a new generation. Well, yeah, like that's what
1: I mean. Like, I could see them trying to phase it out over two generations. Like, this first one being sort of an experiment. Yeah. If it
0: passes, move on to the next stage of the experiment. Go even further. And and the Microsoft skewing or not skewing, but just putting the price point to really try to move consumer behavior in that direction. Yeah, because that is an attractive price point. Yeah,
1: because like we've talked about this too in the past, where it seems like hardware seems like a zero sum game and it's just basically going to get harder and harder to compete especially against you know PCs or whatever like it's you're it's a race almost to the bottom like like do you really want to try to be on the cutting edge of last year or 2 years ago mm-hmm. like all the time with your console whereas if you're into like the streaming if streaming technology gets good enough and the internet's around the world is just solid enough to support like HD or 4k video streaming. So you could just, and the latency is low enough. That's the other caveat. True. The latency is low enough to make the gaming experience actually seamless enough to make it feel almost imperceptibly different or like there's no like imperceptible between physical hardware and whatever your streaming is. Why wouldn't you want to try to get towards that? And then just basically put out, you know, basically just these little cheap to produce gateway devices that are just like just like a little bit of a video thing with a Bluetooth for your controller or whatever and a 5G whatever chip inside it that like you basically only have like this is the last thing we need to put out. We'll put out a refresh every couple of years maybe of like slightly new features or whatever but just pay for the service. Yeah. So it's like the, the hardware costs to you are now basically not Anything like you don't really need to put R and D into that anymore.
0: Certainly not. And I mean, at that point, even somewhat now with the uh, the Project X Cloud uh, service, isn't it a lot easier just to work on and upgrade the backend infrastructure, all the servers, than having to put in the R and D, uh, testing, market research for an actual hardware device like it, like a home console? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I think you're you're upgrading that.
1: Backend hardware anyways. So like, yeah, like it, why do it's stuff you already have and are always going to have and yeah. need to have exactly like, and this way when you push out changes, you know, people are getting the changes. And then at, at worst, like people might, like you, you might have a thing like, Oh, version five of the whatever device we call it. From last year is no longer compatible because it doesn't support this spend thirty bucks and get a new one mm-hmm. that's way more appealing to me than it is you know spending four hundred dollars on a thing every couple of years like
0: oh God, Microsoft could even theoretically subsidize the cost of any sort of future gateway device just through you know like an extra dollar or two on your monthly subscription yeah, kind of like how cell phone companies do it with cell phones exactly free to you up front, but your plan is. You know, $70, $80 a month or something like that. Yeah, well, whatever the, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, probably cheaper than that. I could see the price point being smaller, but yeah, it's. Yeah. So potentially Microsoft could offer you a free device or any technology company could offer you a free device simply as a means of getting you on their, uh, on monthly their network. Sub- yeah. Yeah. And having a monthly subscription because that's where the real money is continual monthly payments. You know, a whole lot of people doing just small continual monthly payments. That's the gold mine. Yep. So uh so we talked a whole lot about that. I just yeah. looked at the clock and realized, damn, that was a good meaty conversation about the fact that Microsoft uh just made a very substantial leap into the software world. And uh I dare say there will come a day, maybe a couple of years, maybe five years down the road, where Basically, there's only like three or four major software companies and everyone else has been bought up. Yeah. Ubisoft could be next. EA at some point, although they might be too big. Uh, Take-Two. Yeah, I could see Take-Two slash Rockstar, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah,
1: Ubisoft is a definite candidate. I would say that they're they maybe a bit bigger than ZeniMax probably, but
0: I don't know if it'd be, you know, outside. I don't know if it'd be, you know, uh, an unsavory number for someone to buy. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're looking at... Like, if Microsoft was willing to plunk down $7.5
1: billion on ZeniMax, I could see them spending 20 on Ubisoft. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I'm just pulling that valuation. Oh, certainly. Ass. I don't know, but like, that valuation
0: seems to make sense in my head. But I don't know. Or, you know, spend the, spend the money right up front, wow them, and... Uh, before someone else swoops in with more money, like an Amazon or an Apple or a Google. Yeah. Or Facebook. Or, or Facebook. Else. Like, yeah. Uh Sony likely won't be spending that money, as we looked into them earlier. Their market cap, very small. Yeah. They're a smaller company. Yeah, they are a smaller company. What was it? 60?
1: 90. 90 billion dollars? 90, yeah.
0: 90-something billion dollars. Uh, Nintendo had, like, the $66 billion market cap we looked. Yeah. Out of curiosity, but uh, yeah, you just touched on it and I'll just kind of go through the quote here from PlayStation boss Jim Ryan, who was speaking to Famitsu uh, a couple days ago to clarify what the PS5 can and can't do. Uh, and he said that the PS5 was designed to focus on uh, specific engineering that was unique to this new console and said it was still important to support the 100 million players who have a PS4 and so that's why it has PS4 specific backwards compatibility. He's his specific words were, quote, We've been b- uh, building devices with a focus on PS5-specific engineering. Among them, PS4 already has 100 million players, so I thought that I would like to play PS4 titles on PS5 as well, so I introduced PS4 compatibility. While achieving that, we focused on incorporating high-speed solid-state drives and the new controller DualSense in parallel. So, unfortunately, compatibility, compatibility with PS3, PS2, and PS1 has not been achieved. End quote. So just the PS4 is what you uh, is what your PS5 will be backwards compatible with. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not a I'm not super satisfied with the explanation of
1: like well we have a hundred million people playing PlayStation 4, so you know that's that's why we're doing the the only PS4. It's like no, like that's why you should definitely do PS4 for sure. But like do you don't. You don't have the numbers of, like, PS3. Like, you didn't do a good job of that transition between PS3 and PS4. Like, remember the whole outcry that people were like, oh, it sucks that, like, there's no backwards compatibility. Mm -hmm. At the very least, the PS3, like... In its first iteration. Well, in its first iteration had, you know, full backwards compatibility with PlayStation 1 and 2, and then the second iteration was just with PlayStation 1 which is kind of weird but i guess it makes sense because of emulation but like i used i still boot up my playstation 3 to play playstation 1 games to this day like
0: there's still old playstation games that i have and play like and really up to uh this you know current generation the the ps4 xbox ones of the world gaming was physical you yeah. had to, had had to have some kind of optical disc to play your game so like, why, why not take a poll of your 100 million PlayStation
1: 4 users and like, see how many of them care about what previous generations at the very least. Like, if 100% of people say, yeah, give me PlayStation 3 as well, why not work towards that? Like if, if 10% of people say PlayStation 1, like, okay, you can ignore that, fine, mm-hmm. like that's, that's not enough, but like, Pick some number and go like, ah, do we really want to alienate? Like, it'd be really cool if we could like clinch these people to get this system by promising this thing. So let's do this thing. Like, I don't know, like, it, it, do a survey. Like, you have a PlayStation network. Like, you can easily just like, have a thing. Like, click here to do a quick experience survey of like what you'd like to see in the PlayStation 5. Like, why not figure out what the people want rather than trying to tell them what they want.
0: And you will like this and play these games and that's it.
1: Yeah, it's like because I feel that enough fervor on the internet has been kind of created over like being like, like people have been kind of hoping for this. Like there have been speculation articles written for like two years now being like, oh, it looks like it might be fully backwards compatibility and people are going, holy crap, that's awesome. And you're just going, no, it's like kind of like a weird, like what are you doing kind of move. Like, I don't know, like I I understand like engineering difficulties and wanting to keep prices low and stuff, but like, if that was the case, why didn't you come out earlier and just say, no, we're not aiming for any
0: backwards compatibility and just temper expectations then? It's a good question. The cynical part of me that uh, has only gotten more cynical with uh, age and more observations of human and specifically business behavior is maybe they're not allowing the backwards compa- compatibility beyond PS4 to allow for those older games to be sold on the PlayStation Store. The PlayStation Network can reap all the money that way instead of not making any money if someone is simply playing their old disc. Fine, release the games then. They haven't done that. that true
1: enough. Like that's the thing, like they could have done that at any time during the PlayStation 4's life cycle too, but they haven't. Like there's some games available, but not many.
0: That seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. And also in, by not having any sort of older backwards compatibility, that's actually a tick in Microsoft's favor for this next generation because 100%. the Xbox One X, uh, a point that I think has been glossed over, but it is fully backwards compatible with every previous Xbox generation. Yeah. Like that I, that
1: alone is another reason why I might want to consider switching platforms. Cause it's like, like, I can go to like any game store and pick up original Xbox games for hella cheap at this point. Oh God, yes! Like they're dime a dozen. Like, you know, and I do have a few old, like Xbox original Xbox. I almost said Xbox One, but that's not the case. Original Xbox games and a couple of three hundred
0: and sixty games here and there. Like, but like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's weird that Microsoft would leave that as a as an uncontested point in this next console generation. Now they could always maybe do some kind of software update later and add that as a say as, uh, as a function that the PlayStation Five could do down the road, but out of the box and likely for the foreseeable future, after it's released on November twelfth, PlayStation Five will only be able to play PlayStation Four games, and that's it. Which seems like a kick in the teeth, but. Sony must know what they're doing they make a lot of money off playstations and the whole video game thing so i don't know it seems like a misstep on my from my end but what do i know i've i've also been someone who in the past as we move on to our uh next story here uh has seen missteps and thoughts that uh virtual reality wouldn't really amount to a hill of beans here but yet, that hasn't stopped other companies from really trying to push and go for it. Namely, yeah. uh PlayStation has the PlayStation VR. That, I'm sure, will be a factor in the next uh generation of hardware as well, with whatever an XPS VR headset. And Facebook has been the other main company out there, as they have, well, a lot of money to their name, a very evil CEO, and they bought a VR company a couple years back called Oculus. Yeah. Run by a very questionable individual named Palmer Lucky, raised a crap ton of money for it on Kickstarter, ultimately sold out to Facebook, ran off with a shit ton of money, and is probably doing not good things with it.
1: Yeah. Or I would not be surprised if. And really pissed off everyone that backed the project on
0: Kickstarter. Yes, he did. Like royally pissed everyone off. So, good man, uh, (laughs) welcome to uh, the tech world. That's how business goes. Yep. Go in, make your money to hell with everyone else. But uh, Facebook has been out there. They've released, uh, by controlling Oculus, Oculus, I should say, has been out there. They've had a couple of different VR headsets, and just a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, the, well, human-pretending automaton that is Mark Zuckerberg, uh, <laughs> at a Facebook event uh, that was showing off, I guess, some new features, some new hardware. They showed off the Oculus Quest 2, which is the... Next new headset, VR headset to come from the Oculus company. And it's, uh, uh, he gave first look at the company's new, yeah, and that's their new standalone VR headset. So this has been a big thing. You know, we've seen the transition in VR headsets progressively moving away from being ones where you have to be tethered to a computer to now fully standalone. They do all the computing right there in the headset to deliver all the experience right to you on your cranium, which is A step towards greater acceptability of VR as an entertainment and gaming platform. But you're still wearing a headset on your skull. Yeah. For probably
1: shouldn't be wearing it for a long period of time. Yeah. Because like, who knows what the weight of these things still are.
0: Like it's still a computer strapped onto your face. And also, do you really want to have screens right like a few inches in front of your eyeballs for hours at a time? Is that healthy? I don't know. I I always think back to the video I watched a while
1: back of some guy who spent... What was it? Oh, he spent like 24 hours. 24 real-world hours in Minecraft VR. That's right. So, like, he had the game open. I think it was like something like a what 10 days happened, like 10 Minecraft days happened or something like that, or Mm -hmm. some amount of Minecraft days happened in the 24-hour period, but he basically had to, like set up and like he kept the headset on while he was sleeping and stuff and basically anyway it was a whole weird thing and it was just a weird socially not a social experiment just, just a weird experiment done not really for any specific purpose but like the whole time I was watching it I just couldn't help but think why <laughs> like is this anything that's going to actually like who would actually do this like what's the point of this but Anyways, uh, all that aside, like, yeah, like when we were growing up, people used to say, don't sit too close to the TV Mm -hmm. and then it's bad for you. It's bad for you. But then like, maybe that was BS. I guess it was BS. But like, eye strain still is a real thing. Like if I'm in front of a computer monitor for too long, like I, my eyes do feel fatigued, like where I can't focus and stuff for like, so like, I don't know, like.
0: I don't know what the long-term effects of VR actually are. Have there been health studies on this? Uh, probably not, because it's still fairly new to the uh, consumer marketplace. It's maybe only what three years that we've seen these larger companies, re- you know, releasing attempts at massively adopted devices. And the Oculus Quest 2 will look to be the most massively adopted one. It's set for launch on October 13th at a price point of 299 US dollars, which is $100 less than the first Oculus Quest uh, headset. This new one is going to be powered by Qualcomm Snapdragon XR2 uh, platform, plus new displays with resolutions of 1832 by 1920 per eye. So that's apparently 50% more pixels uh, per eye than the original Quest possessed. And this Quest 2 is also coming with 6 gigs of RAM, up to 250 gigs of built-in storage, and display with a uh, with support for a 90 hertz refresh rate. So, it's got other new bells and whistles. Apparently there's a 10% reduction in its weight from the previous one. Uh, support for controller-free hand tracking built right in. So, uh, compared to its predecessor, the Oculus Quest 1, it seems like a better deal, if that's something you're interested in. I don't know. I'm still very skeptical of VR headsets as a platform for gaming. Uh... I don't know. I I don't know if I'll be sold. Yeah, they're fun, but like until they're like disposable income cheap, I don't think I can justify it. Because two ninety nine as a price point for a VR headset puts it right in line with a a Switch and B the Xbox Series S the uh, digital only version of the next gen Microsoft uh, console. So what what do you want to spend your money on? That's the real question. A Switch. Next gen Xbox or a VR headset? Yeah. I don't know. That is the question. Uh, I mean, if Facebook, Facebook really wanted to, uh, drive up adoption rates, they'd put it even cheaper. They could afford to take the hit on the price point. They've got too much money. They sure do. And they continue to have too much money.
1: Yes. And they will continue to have too much money because that's just what happens when you have too much
0: money. You can pay people to, to keep it that way. That's right. Buy him out, boys. Yeah. Uh, but we'll move from that. Uh, one last news item we'll get to here this week as we... uh Actually, a big retirement was announced in the world of video gaming this week. A surprise announcement, but came from the world of Ubisoft. And renowned game creator, and specifically the creator of Rayman, uh, and also Beyond Good and Evil, Michel Ancel, announced his... I want to say abrupt, but I'm sure to to him in his own life, it was a long time coming, and this was a plan. But to the outside world and everyone else, it seemed abrupt, but his retirement from the world of video gaming and video game development, so he's not just leaving Ubisoft, he's leaving everything else, and he also announced his next career path. He's going to be getting out of game development entirely. He's going to be leaving it all behind, and what he's going to be doing is he's going to be devoting his life to wildlife. Apparently, in the uh, uh, post he made to his account on Instagram, he says, quote, Today is a very special day for me. He made this announcement last week, hence why we are just getting to it now. Today is a very special day for me. After more than 30 years, I've decided to stop working on video games and fully focus on my second passion, wildlife. My new, new project takes place in the real world and consists in a wildlife-open sanctuary dedicated to education, nature lovers, and wild animals. Many of you might want to know what will happen to Wild and Beyond Good and Evil 2, the games he was working on at Ubisoft. No worries, since many months now, the team are autonomous, and the projects are going super well. Beautiful things to be seen soon. Quote, May the fox be with you. Is how he finished off his post on Instagram. Yeah. So Michel Ansel has been in the game world for a long time. He's been at Ubisoft since 1995.
1: Th- yeah. That's, that's a long time. That is a long time. That's when Rayman first came out, I guess. Uh, in that first, time, probably a couple of years after that. Yeah, when it was first worked on. And
0: yeah, that's... uh Kudos to him. For making that long. Because uh, it's a hard slog in the game industry. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it is, from what I gather. It's... Um, a lot of lot of grind lot of uh dev crunch a dev crunch lot of uh long hours things like that so for him to you know be able to move away and do something else it's good you know everyone
0: needs to change and uh, clearly this is going to be the right thing for him i think absolutely uh, uh corresponding with the announcement ubisoft uh sent out a press Uh, Or a press comment to Eurogamer. They said, quote, Today Ubisoft announces that Michel Ancel has chosen to leave the video game industry after an exceptional career spanning more than 30 years. A nature lover, Michel has been working on a personal project dedicated to the protection of wildlife for a long time. This project, a wildlife sanctuary in the region of Montpellier, France, is now growing in scope, and he wishes to put his full effort into this long-standing passion. Michelle is at the origin of some of Ubisoft and the video game industry's most beloved franchises, including Rayman, The Raving Rabbids, and Beyond Good and Evil, whose second opus, Beyond Good and Evil 2, is currently in development. The teams at Ubisoft Montpellier are currently focusing on the main stages of production aligned with the vision set out by Michelle. They will have more to share with their community of fans in the months to come. We would like to thank Michelle for the incredible, incredible creative vision he has brought to Ubisoft over the course of his career and wish him all the best for his new venture, end quote. So, good on him for getting out, and uh, good on him for not trying to tough it out and just stick it out when clearly he felt that he was being pulled in a different direction by his passions. Yeah. And get out before you burn out. Yeah, it's always good to see that happen, rather
1: than someone just kind of maybe be overtaken by greed or whatever else, like... Because I'm sure he probably could have kept going, like he could have been in this industry for who knows how much
0: longer. And certainly, I mean, at the very least, uh, through the release of Project Good and Evil Two, which again he was the the visionary behind the first game, and people have been hounding him for a sequel for years, and were just all all aflutter when he announced that there was a sequel in development, and now he's leaving before it's seeing the light of day. So, uh. Nevertheless, good on him. Kudos to Michel Ancel and uh, wish him all the best in his new venture of uh, operating an animal sanctuary in France, which I did not know would be a thing he was into. Also, would not be my first choice for a uh, retirement uh, endeavor. You know, uh, that seems like it would have its own stresses, its own rigor you have to go through. Also, too, depending on the animals you have, uh, uh, that will have its own challenges as well. Perhaps regulatory, perhaps just logistical. Um, but good on him. Hopefully, he does not have tigers uh, because so many of us uh, are aware of what can happen with tigers, thanks to Tiger King on Netflix. Yeah, from or, the early days of the COVID times. Yeah, or I mean, if he um, if he does well by
1: have tigers, I, I feel like that's. I think when you're running a sanctuary, the idea is to not have any of the animals, right? So maybe he will have a sanctuary for tigers, but Montpellier, France isn't necessarily, doesn't scream to me like tiger's natural habitat. (laughs) So,
0: but mind you, southern United States doesn't either. So who knows? That's true. So, uh, hey, maybe we'll get to visit it one day and be educated by Michelle. I'm sure, I'm sure the kiosks and information will be Really interactive. Yeah, really well put
1: together. And maybe, you know, maybe this isn't actually the end of his collaboration with Ubisoft. Maybe maybe there will be some sort of conservation type game that they put out in one of their maybe more interactive educational type experiences, like they kind of include
0: in the Assassin's Creed games. Mm, Certainly. I mean, and if he ever needs something, he knows who to call. He, I'm sure, has a lot of favors he could call in at Ubisoft. Oh, Yeah.
1: Favors, connections, people that you know would just work on side projects probably with him. Yeah, just
0: to work with him again. So, yeah. uh So kudos to Michel Ancel. He has, after thirty plus years in game development, I mean, that's a that's a long time. It's a long career for any career. It sure is. So yeah. So kudos to him and uh, all the best in his endeavors of uh, operating a wildlife sanctuary in Montpellier, France, which. Okay, wouldn't have been my first guess, but kudos to him. He clearly yeah. has it planned out or is in the planning stages and needs the time to figure it out. So uh good on him. But uh, as we move along here in time, we are not about to retire from our careers, but uh, we are about to retire from this program. But before we go, we should probably take a few minutes to fetch some old items that are celebrating milestone anniversaries. Yes, it's time for the blast from the past, and I absolutely described it right before I gave the name of it away, but if you've been listening to this program for any length of time, you know that's always the last segment of the show, and we have three items for you this week that span uh things all the way from the Stone Age to the futures in space, and everything in between. So, uh, of the three, given that one is a movie and two are TV shows, where would you like to start this week? Maybe we can shoot Time's Arrow backwards and start with the,
1: uh, the newest of the items first. Very well. Also, it is a movie, so it is the odd one out.
0: It is the odd one out, but that does not make it lesser for no. that reason. It is a very good movie that was released on September 30th of the year 2005. So 15 years ago, this movie was the continuation slash uh, t- attempt to tie up the storyline from a short-lived but much-beloved TV series that Fox... The broadcast network Fox totally mishandled. Yep. Uh, when it was initially aired, this is the movie Serenity, which was the movie companion slash finale to the Firefly TV series that, as I said, Fox completely mishandled, did not know what they had on their hands, uh, ran half of the episodes that were filmed and not in the right order, not in the right order. And then eventually once it came to DVD, still when DVDs a big deal, especially of TV series, that's when it got a huge fan and cult following. Yeah. Thus, uh, in the response leading Joss Whedon to write, script, and uh, direct the Serenity movie, which is basically the final chapter of the Firefly TV series. Yeah. And it really, it does put some hard
1: buttons on some things making it I would say, impossible for them to
0: ever even consider um, revisiting the series further. It is uh, the finale of the series and also the finale for some of the characters. Right. Yes. That's putting it uh, very nicely, I would say. Certainly. Uh, but it is a very good movie. If you enjoyed the Firefly TV series, you will enjoy the Serenity movie. But even if you haven't seen the Firefly series, I think you can enjoy the Serenity movie on its own. It's an enjoyable movie that is still very much Joss Whedon writing the same style, doing everything he did on the TV show, just with a much larger budget.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, obviously it is big budget Firefly, but yeah, I would still recommend going back and watching the whole Firefly series just to get a feel for the series. It's not very long. It's only 10 episodes and, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, it's,
0: it's good. Solid series. If you're not familiar with either the movie or the TV series, uh, it is Firefly slash Serenity is a, a future sci-fi film that's very much Old West. Yeah. It's a like, I believe it's the first... No, it's the second episode of the series where they do a big train robbery. Yeah. Which uh, I recall on the commentary, Joss Whedon saying that they, the second episode is technically the second pilot because... The first pilot they did was a bit too dialog Network execs didn't like it, and they gave him a weekend to rewrite a new script. And so he just went, all right, what's very Old West? A train robbery. And so he literally wrote a train robbery, but there's flying spaceships and laser blasters and whatnot. Yeah. And also, the the dialogue in this is very unique. Yeah, it's very unique because
1: it, it's supposed to take place, like, sort of an indeterminate amount of time in the future, and every time that people talk, like there's a few weird thing There's a few weird quirks. They always refer to the earth that was mm-hmm. like, they never talk about earth. They talk to, they talk about the earth that was, which, you know, what does that imply? Like, what does that mean? Like, I think you can kind of like infer what that means, but like, it's never explicitly said what that means. And then all of the swears and like, a lot of like the frustrated expressions are
0: all in Mandarin. And the reason for that is in this uh, future time period, uh, after the great wars of whatever uh, happened in earth's history, basically only China and the United States were the superpowers left standing. And they eventually just merged and formed one United space Alliance, I believe called the Alliance. Yeah. That I believe speaks in both Chinese or not in Mandarin and English. Yeah. Hence the characters and the dialogue freely go between Mandarin. Yeah, and it's, it's very disorienting.
1: Also because there's not really subtitles, so you just kind of have to just
0: infer from tone what sometimes people are saying? That's true. And, uh, for the most part it works. It, it's an entertaining little quirk, uh, but the film Serenity is based around, uh, uh, Captain Mal, played by Nathan Fillion, played expertly by Nathan Fillion, yes. as they go on a quest to discover what exactly is on the planet Miranda, what happened there, and then once they find out, to try and tell everyone about it. And of course, they are being chased the whole time by a uh, an operative, played by Chitwe Ejiofor, who is sent by the Alliance to stop Captain Mal and his crew on the Serenity from telling the truth of what exactly happened, on Planet Miranda and it's a bad thing that happened on Planet Miranda. Yeah. There's a lot of tension to it, but Serenity is one of those movies I find if it's uh uh say if it's on TV or something, I kinda have to stop and just keep watching from that point. Same thing that happens to me if Forrest Gump is on TV. Oh yeah. Like For
1: yeah, there's we all have those movies. Forrest Gump is definitely one of those for me as well. Spaceballs or any Mel Brooks movie is also that one for me. Um, yeah, I would, I think Serenity would probably be one of those ones for me as well, even though I, I haven't seen it in a long time. So
0: yeah, I mean, I guess this is a good opportunity to revisit it then. Certainly, uh, to mark its 15th anniversary, but, uh, we're going to go a long ways back from 2005 <laughs> yes. now. Uh, the, the arrow that's being shot through time has, better put some extra mustard on it because it's got to go all the way back to 1965 because that was the date on September 30th of 1965. That was the date that this very quirky, very one-off uh TV series debuted. It's not something... It was done in a style that was somewhat popular at the time, but was not popular in the years since. We are speaking of the TV series Thunderbirds. Yeah, so... The people in our generation,
1: and I'm assuming younger than our generation, probably don't have much experience with this show. I vaguely remember seeing it on reruns a little bit when we were younger. On YTV. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was hard to watch. I'm not going to say it was good. I'm not going to really recommend you go and watch it. It's This is definitely a checkout clips kind of show. But there were some weird things. Well, the, the influence that this show had on a movie I greatly enjoy is something I'll talk about in a second. I'm pretty sure you know what movie I'm going to talk about, yes. Uh, but there were this weird stylistic things. I don't remember literally anything about the story about Thunderbirds, but I remember weird stylistic things about this show. The most notable being... You know, whenever the puppets were talking and then whenever they would have to, like, pass papers or anything between each other, they would always show a weird close-up of human hands (laughs) passing stuff to each other. And it was always (laughs) off-putting. And it was always super strange because there were just these disembodied hands that would, like, pass something from one set of hands to another. And it was just like, what is happening? What is Why did they do that? I thought this was
0: a puppet show. Which, yes, I don't think we really touched on the fact this is a puppet show, but not in the hands-up, uh, a hand puppet show. This oh. is a marionette. Yeah, these are marionettes. Like, marionettes just, you know, it's an elaborately staged marionette play, effectively is what this is. Yes, it is. Uh, Thunderbirds uh, effectively staged marionette play uh, based around the idea that there's a whole family that run this uh, this international rescue group called International Rescue, and... Anytime there's any sort of danger, travesty, calamity that's happening anywhere in the world, they have different outposts that are stationed across the globe that allow for a different team or a different family member, different brother, to captain one of their Thunderbird ships to go off and engage in a rescue of whatever scenario is happening at the time. And they had, I think, five or six different Thunderbird ships, literally numbered, Thunderbird one through five, yeah, and they were all different shapes, different sizes. They even have a, I think they had a, a rocket that would take them into space, if I recall correctly. The most, the ship I recall most uh, uh, definitely was, I think, Thunderbird two or three, the big green transport ship from which all their jeeps and other land-based vehicles would spew out of. But uh, it was a very simple premise, and how it lasted for an entire season of episodes. I don't know, but the 60s were a different time. And it did last for two series in Britain. That's true, too. So, it's a very British series. Yeah.
1: So there's 32 episodes plus three anniversary specials, which is just a thing that British series kind of do usually, either anniversary or Christmas or holiday specials yes. of some kind. Uh, very British, very 60s, very weird. Just check some clips out, but... I think the, the, the really good upshoot of the influence of Thunderbirds for us anyways was that it directly inspired Team America World Police. It sure did. Which is a fantastic Trey Parker movie.
0: And a much better use of marionettes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It, uh, took the, I guess, ridiculous premise of using marionettes and just worked it to its nth degree of ridiculousness.
1: Yeah. No now, this is not the blast from the past, but I will recommend Team America World Police. I mean, I am a South Park fan. I've been a South Park fan since South Park was a thing. So that's just, you know, a thing. I I'm a big fan
0: of Tree Parker. Like I think he's definitely even before South Park stuff, look you know, go look at Orgasmo, uh or go check out Cannibal the musical. Yeah. Uh
1: yeah, chances are, like, if you have a local fringe-type festival in your city, there might be a local production of Cannibal the Musical or or check out the, the movie or whatever. Like, right from the start, he was really funny and had a lot of, like, wild and wacky ideas. And, yeah, it, I'm, I'm just a big fan of his writing and everything anyways. And <laughs> Team America World Police, I think, was a good send-up of a lot of different things using this style, including Thunderbirds itself, obviously, but like a lot of like the political climate of, of the time and stuff, but yeah. And just a lot of like signature Trey Parker type humor. <laughs> so, and songwriting.
0: Yes. As well. Yes. But,
1: but yeah, Thunderbirds is the blast from the past, but I think the secret blast from the past,
0: even though it's not celebrating an anniversary is team America world police. Uh, it's the better of the two marionette based entertainment forms or yes. properties, I should say. Yes. Uh, one last, last one to, to get to as we go even further back in time to 1960, September 30th, 1960. That is the date that, uh, primetime television welcomed this cartoon known as the Flintstones. Yes.
1: A series that definitely had a longer, much longer run than Thunderbirds <laughs> and its cultural impact, I feel, has been felt a lot longer slash, you know, more deeply than uh, Thunderbirds at all, at least here in North America. I can't speak to UK or Europe in general, but I know here in North America, the Flintstones is definitely... uh
0: it's a thing. It's been
1: a thing for a long time.
0: Certainly. If you're not if you're of a younger age and you're not entirely familiar with the Flintstones, Flintstones is an animated series that debuted on September thirtieth, nineteen sixty, ran for a number of episodes on before ending on April first of nineteen sixty six. But the real real important uptake is that it was the first primetime animated series in television history.
1: Yeah, but, even even if it was just sort of like a an animated... Like, at, at first, an animated rip-off of The Honeymooners. Yes, it was. But I think the characterizations and stuff were a lot better than The Honeymooners. <laughs> Maybe a lot... Uh, I don't know. Had had a lot longer lasting appeal. Just, it's, it's an interesting thing that happens when, you know, if, you, if your show is being filmed... It, like... Like, let's say if we're filming a show in 2020, if it takes place in 2020, it's going to feel dated. Yes. If you're filming a show in 2020 and you try to make it feel... If you try to, like, make it feel futuristic, it's going to feel dated. If you try to go back in time a bit, it's going to feel weird as we uncover more and more information about, you know, whatever age we're going on. Like, you know, if bonanza was supposed to take place in the wild west the more we learn about the wild west but the the more we know bonanza is not really historically accurate but if you said it super far in the past like who knows what could have happened and you know if it's already kind of like scientifically inaccurate a little bit to start with then it doesn't age that's true like you're you're kind of scot-free and in the clear like we already knew i think by the 1960s that humans and dinosaurs did not technically exist at the same time. And I mean, all the things aside, like of like, you know, more recent science talking about how dinosaurs are actually more like birds and whatnot. All that aside, you know, it was, it's still kind of like, it still works. I think as a series, even though some of the humor and stuff is a little bit corny and 60s ish, but it's a funny, weird, just juxtaposition, I think with like it taking place in the stone age, but them kind of acting like a 60s show, it, it just becomes this weird, timeless thing unto itself where it's like it has its own
0: rules and it doesn't really make sense and it's funny in any kind of era. I mean, despite it being an animated series, it very much uh, stuck to a lot of sitcom conventions of the yes. day. It had a laugh track. <laughs> it sure did. And, and they tried to treat it as though it was like a, a normal live action sitcom series you would see on TV at the time, like an I love Lucy. It literally is a ripoff of the honeymooners. Yeah. Uh, which the honeymooners was a popular television series at the time, but this was that same concept set in the prehistoric age, complete with laugh track. And the setup is you have Fred Flintstone, uh, head of this family of the Flintstones has his wife, Wilma. Has the, has daughter pebbles, has his equivalent of a dog, but it's a purple dinosaur named Dino. Yep. He's just a regular Joe, works in the quarry. For Mr. Slate. For Mr. Slate, slaving away, moving rocks and stones. Uh, you know, likes to get away every so often for his bowling nights.
1: And his, his, you know, fraternal order of the water buffalo, which is his like, basically like, from what I understand, like, the Legion or
0: something. Legion or, like, Knights of Columbus or something. Yeah, something like that. You know, some weird secret order of thing where they wear fa- funny hats and have weird handshakes. Yeah. But, and that's the entire premise. It's set in prehistoric ages, and they have dinosaurs that do all the convenient jobs that uh, a normal appliance of the 1960s would do. Like, instead of a vacuum cleaner, they have, like, a woolly mammoth. Yeah.
1: And, like, instead of a can opener, you have, like, some bird with some sort of sharp beak. And the the running joke with all of the animals and stuff is like whenever it does a close up of them doing some terrible job, they always look, eh, it's living <laughs> and it, it works every time. It's a bad it's a terrible hack joke, but I laugh at it every single time. And
0: I don't know why. Maybe it's something's wrong with my brain, but it's so. also a completely ridiculous premise, too. Yeah. That you're here in Stone Ages. And you have this, this animal, this dinosaur or whatever being used as a, to do convenient household chores for this family, but also the animal's talking. Yeah. So it's sentient enough to know that it has a shit job.
1: <laughs> and then it knows it, it knows how to mug at the camera going, eh, it's a living. Is it a living? Are you being paid? <laughs> like, I don't
0: know. It's, it's a funny, stupid, multi-layered joke that You know, it's ridiculous, but it still works every time. Now, the the prevalence of the Flintstones as being a property has certainly decreased as the years have gone on. It's a 60-year-old franchise at this point now. Uh, In the 90s, there were attempts at doing a movie version, most famously with Steven Spielberg doing a big budget one. Yeah. They got like a big summertime release and just bombed spectacularly. Yet we had it on VHS and
1: one of my younger (laughs) sisters watched it like a hundred times. That's a thing in life. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and I do appreciate some of like the the gags that they tried to put in the movie and stuff. Like the B52s were the band playing at some event and they called themselves the bc 52s Oh jeez. Like okay, fine. And like okay casting. Like John Goodman as Fred Flintstone and Rick Moranis was Barney, Barney Rubble. Barney Rubble. Gumb- Barney, Barney but- Rubble, yes. <laughs> Etc., cetera, et cetera. but yeah. Yeah, I mean, nothing really matches up to the original series, though, when you think about, you know, sheer, like, humor and, like, just originality. Like,
0: all of the original stuff is there, so... It's true, and if you kind of look at its its legacy, it's just occurring to me now, you see a lot of similarities between Fred Flintstone and Homer Simpson. A lovable, oafish-type, you know, head of the family, who's just a regular Joe doing his job, and uh, enjoys bowling. Yep. And just enjoys getting away to his friends every so often. Fred Flintstone's the Royal Order Water Buffalo. With Homer, it's the bar. Yeah. And another kind
1: of similarity, though it was kind of used in a weird effect in the Flintstones, where Fred Flintstone basically takes on a new persona and <laughs> has a new career every time he has a head injury. That's right. Like, movie star, whatever else, like Secret spy. Secret spy, any number of different careers. I don't remember what they all were, but yeah. It was a weird thing that they introduced it through a head injury, and then Homer Simpson with his different flights of fancy trying different jobs out and stuff, even though he's technically a nuclear technician.
0: But yeah, a lot of different similarities. Absolutely. Now, in the, I believe, second season of uh, Flintstones, second or third season, that's when they introduced the character of the Great Gazoo, and... Kinda jumped the rails at that point. I think it was the last, season. the last season, because like, it, it, it went on for six seasons. Okay, six, sorry, I forgot it was six seasons. But in the uh, the last season is when it kind of just went off the rails, and yeah. it, it's like the writers just kind of ran out of ideas, so they had to introduce the the character of the Great Gazoo, who's an alien that only Fred Flintstone could see. Who, yep, who could like teleport in and out of existence in some way, shape, or form. It was a very weird thing, and I, I'm not entirely sure why they did it. History has not judged it kindly, that's for certain. But thankfully, The Simpsons has not taken that up as a thing, as a trope in the show. Yeah, it was seven episodes into the last season
1: when they introduced The Great Kazoo. Uh, though, it was voiced by Harvey Corman, who I am a fan of. So... Hmm. I don't know, I, in hindsight, I do think it's a funny, weird thing to introduce. And like, I appreciate their bravery for trying to do this bizarre thing with this largely formulaic show. Like, I guess trying to inject life into it in some strange way that didn't really make sense. Like that in and of itself, I think deserves some level of points, but it didn't work. People didn't like it. History hasn't judged it fairly or kindly, so.
0: That's that, I suppose. Uh, that's true. In more recent times, uh, I believe there's a new adaptation of the Flintstones coming uh, to one of the American cartoon networks. I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head which one, but it's uh, a reimagining of The Simpsons called Yabba, da- uh, Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. And it focuses on Pebbles and Bam Bam as they go have uh, adventures with the other dinosaurs in their prehistoric age. And it's very much in the vein of, uh, like a Teen Titans Go or something like that. It's a short form animated series that's heavy on the goofiness of it and seems like it's, at least from the initial trailers and promos I've seen of it, like it's really going hard and fast to the, uh, to the punchline with not much of a setup to it. Uh, so if that's a thing you or perhaps your uh, some younger individual in your life might be into. This could be a way to introduce them to the Flintstones as a, as it's trying to be reinvigorated as a franchise by Hanna-Barbera slash Warner Brothers. Yeah, AOL Time Warner <laughs> Communications. Dish Network, whoever. Dish Network, whoever owns it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Flintstones, 60 years old. Yeah. Hot damn. Hot damn, that's an old TV show. Sure is. Not as old as Thunderbirds, which is Fifty-five years old, but it's... Uh, older than Thunderbirds. Oh, sorry, yes. Older than... <laughs> excuse me. Five years older than Thunderbirds, in fact. Yes, uh, Thunderbirds, the younger of the two of them... Yes. Uh, ...and the lesser of the two of them. Absolutely. And it's a very dry British marionette series.
1: Yeah, it's not fun to get through. Again, I'm going to just put that out there. Just watch some clips, and you'll see what we're talking
0: about. But, If yeah. you really want a personal challenge to overcome... Get through an entire episode of Thunderbirds. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. will yeah. See how that goes. Uh, and before all that, we spoke of a more recent fair, a movie from 2005 called Serenity. It is Joss Whedon's uh, final chapter in the live-action uh, Firefly TV universe. The storyline has continued in different adaptations in print form uh, in the comic world, as I believe Dark Horse had the property for a number of years. I think it's since moved on to a different publisher, so... Uh, you can always find a, some form of Firefly slash Serenity comic. Uh, and if I may make one recommendation, if you can suss it out however your means, read the third volume of the Serenity, uh, comics on Dark Horse. That is The Shepherd's Tale. Yeah, it's really good. It tells the, it tells the backstory, uh, of Shepherd Book, a character from the show, and it is well worth your read. It's, quite probably the best of the Dark Horse Serenity comics. Yeah, I feel
1: like I got through it in like one
0: sitting. It was really good. It's a very breezy read and it's very good. And you learn all about why Shepherd Book is Shepherd Book when you see him in the series. So well worth your time. But just Serenity and the Firefly TV series, worth your time as well. Absolutely. And at this point, I think it's best we say, uh, we thank you for spending your time with us. It's been more time than we intended on, but we <laughs> had a lot to say about Microsoft and ZeniMax and Bethesda and whatnot. So, these things happen, but we're also making up for the fact that uh, we're going to be away for the next uh, two weeks here as our recording schedules get a little wonky for the next little bit here. Plus, we also have a holiday in there as well, Canadian Thanksgiving mixed in as well, because we're superior and we get to have our Thanksgiving first. Yes. Take that, America. <laughs> Guess you're not that great. So... <laughs> Right, so we'll, we'll start a war. <laughs> eh. So we'll be off for that as well, and also our recording schedule a little funky. We are working to resolve that, but we'll be off for the next little bit, and we'll rejoin you again the week of Monday, October thirteenth slash I believe that's the seventeenth of October if uh, we stick to our normal Friday release schedule. So, I think so. The week of Friday, October 17th is when we will be back with you again. Hope you can sustain yourselves, be good, be safe in the time in between, and uh, as we said, if you have uh, uh, some extra money that you wish to donate to the show, that's just a normal plea we make here on the program. <laughs> or you're, you know, think the uh, size of the PS5 is just right for you, let us know email us info at the show.com or if uh, you actually enjoy watching the Thunderbirds and you can get through it all in one sitting, we want to hear from you as well, or you can get in touch with us through social media. We're on Twitter at the arcade show and on Facebook, facebook.com slash the arcade show. And uh, if you haven't already subscribed to this program on iTunes and Google play podcasts, direct links to our pages on both of those platforms. You can be found on our homepage of the So until uh, a couple weeks from now, good night, everybody. Good night.